How are the sermon at the temple similar and different from the Sermon on the Mount? Were the twelve disciples also apostles? What did Jesus mean when he commanded the people of Nephi to be perfect? How can we tell the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet? Hello, Max here. Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. This review covers the lesson plan for 3 Nephi chapters 12 through 16. Please subscribe to be notified of our upcoming videos. Chapters 12 through 14 are sometimes referred to as the Sermon at the Temple and is similar to the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. Although there are some significant differences here in 3 Nephi, the most striking and lengthy parallel between the Book of Mormon and the New Testament, besides the Isaiah chapter of 2 Nephi, is the Savior's sermon in Judea and this sermon in Bountiful. Not only is the subject matter in the same sequence, but the phraseology is similar in numerous passages. It is said that these chapters are considered to be the celestial constitution for the kingdom of God. Latter-day Saints might make a connection with the sermon at the temple with the context of making covenants in their modern temples. 3 Nephi 12.1 From the first two verses, we learn that this sermon is directed to baptized members of the church, or to those who soon will be. And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words unto Nephi and to those who had been called, now the number of them who had been called and received power and authority to baptize was twelve. And behold, he stretched forth his hand unto the multitude and cried unto them, saying, Blessed are ye if ye shall give heed unto the words of these twelve whom I have chosen from among you to minister unto you and to be your servants. And unto them I have given power that they may baptize you with water. And after that ye are baptized with water, behold, I will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Therefore blessed are ye, if ye shall believe in me and be baptized after that ye have seen me and know that I am. Nephi and eleven other men called and given power were to be the equivalent of the twelve apostles in Jerusalem. In fact, they weren't just disciples, but as Joseph Smith in History of the Church, Volume 4, page 537 to 538, stated, they were apostles. Quote, this book also tells us that our Savior made his appearance upon this continent after his resurrection, that he planted the gospel here in all its fullness and riches and power and blessing, that they had apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, the same order, the same priesthood, and the same ordinances, gifts, powers, blessings, as were enjoyed on the eastern continent. End quote. That would make 24 apostles that were on the earth at one time. Interesting that this verse does not make reference to the laying on of hands to receive the power and authority to baptize, or to baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. There is no mention of priesthood power or ordination. Just like in the New Testament, Jesus gave spoken authorization to his apostles. There was no laying on of hands to ordain or confer priesthood power. 3 Nephi 12.2 Jesus reminds them this sermon at the temple is given to members of the church. In verses 3-12, through 12, these verses are commonly known as the Beatitudes in the New Testament account. It is important to note that when Joseph Smith worked on his new translation of the Bible, he made changes to the Sermon on the Mount, and some passages don't match what Jesus taught here in the Sermon at the Temple. 3 Nephi 12, verses 3-6 through six. The word blessed means happy or fortunate. Yea, blessed are the poor in spirit who come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, 
Blessed are all they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are all they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. The words, quote, with the Holy Ghost, are not in the Sermon on the Mount. 3 Nephi 12, 7-10 And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are all the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are all the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are all they who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The words, quote, my names, are added in verse 10. Verses 11 through 12. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For ye shall have great joy and be exceedingly glad. For great shall be your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. The words, quote, for ye shall have great joy, are added and not in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 13. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I give unto you to be the salt of the earth. But if the salt shall lose its savor, wherewith shall the earth be salted? The salt shall be thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Joseph Smith reworded this verse from the original Sermon on the Mount. Verse 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I give unto you to be the light of this people. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He doesn't mention the world. He wants them to be light to the Nephite Lamanite people. Verses 15 through 17. Behold, do men light a candle and put it under a bushel? Nay, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Therefore let your light so shine before this people, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Meaning, I have come to keep the law perfectly, and to fulfill all prophecy about my mission. Verse 18. For verily I say unto you, One jot nor one tittle hath not passed away from the law, but in me it hath all been fulfilled. More rewarding. 3 Nephi 12, 19. And behold, I have given you the law and the commandments of my Father, that ye shall believe in me, and that ye shall repent of your sins, and come unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Behold, ye have the commandments before you, and the law is fulfilled. This verse is much different than the Sermon on the Mount. During Jesus' mortal ministry, he always proclaimed the need for righteousness, and he warned of the penalty for sin. However, Jesus always presented God as the standard for righteousness, and himself as the means of righteousness. Keep in mind, without Jesus, righteousness is unattainable. The Beatitudes do not tell the people how to be righteous, but were simply describing what righteousness looks like. Jesus fulfilled moral law by keeping it perfectly. In this sermon, Jesus is going to accomplish two things. First, he is going to convict them of sin, and therefore the need for a Savior, a Messiah. Secondly, he is going to teach them the level of righteousness a person needs to enter the kingdom of heaven. The problem is, nobody can attain such levels, which brings all who seriously consider his words to look to him. Because perfection is not accessible to man, and he is teaching perfection here, does not mean we give up living well. It just means we learn to thrive and grow and overcome through a different source than our own abilities. 
we learn to thrive and overcome the world through him. Jesus was to fulfill the law by showing that obedience to it was not the complete application of it. He takes the law written in stone and amplifies them. He says, quote, It was said to them of ancient times. And then he adds, quote, But I say. That is powerful and it shows who Jesus is, God. God's level of righteousness and disdain for evil is extremely high. We cannot use law to do it. We are to die to the law written in stone. We need to die to ourselves and live in Christ, buried with Christ and rise to a new life in Him, become a new creation in Christ, born again and spiritually regenerated. 3 Nephi 12.20 This verse is again reworded from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore come unto me, and be ye saved. For verily I say unto you, that except ye shall keep my commandments which I have commanded you at this time, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven to a Latter-day Saint means celestial glory. No amount of our good works will gain us entrance into heaven. The Pharisees tried and failed. Jesus said it wasn't a religious system that saves. Only he can save us. Just a note regarding the law of Moses. When it was given to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, the law of Moses was a very high law for them with expected commandments and severe punishments. Indeed, the law of Moses is a very high law for most of the world even today. So it was a high standard spelled out in great detail to be kept in outward compliance. What Jesus is sharing with the Nephites and Lamanites at this time is a higher law which requires deeper inner convictions. 3 Nephi 12.21 Speaking about first-degree murder, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, and it is also written before you, that thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment of God. The words, quote, and it is also written before you, are added and are referring to the Nephite records, including the brass plates. Verse 22. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of his judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. To call someone a fool in this context means mocking, ridiculing, or belittling someone for mistakes you yourself have made. Verse 23. Therefore, if ye shall come unto me, or shall desire to come unto me, and rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, the wording is changed in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24. Go thy way unto thy brother, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come unto me with full purpose of heart and I will receive you. Again, more rewording. Verses 25-26 Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time he shall get thee, and thou shalt be cast into prison. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, until thou hast paid the uttermost senine. And while ye are in prison, can ye pay even one senine? Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nay. Jesus here is replacing a New Testament monetary coin, a farthing, with the Nephite coin, a C9. Verse 27. Behold, it is written by them of old time that thou shalt not commit adultery. Written instead of heard, as in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. 
3 Nephi 12, 29, and 30. These verses are not in the Sermon on the Mount. Behold, I give unto you a commandment, that ye suffer none of these things to enter into your heart. For it is better that ye should deny yourselves of these things, wherein ye will take up your cross, than that ye should be cast into hell. Verses 31 to 32. It hath been written that whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whoso shall marry her who is divorced committeth adultery. In New Testament times, divorce had become very easy as far as the law was concerned. All a man had to do was to call a witness and then say to his wife, I divorce you. Divorce is not desirable, but this verse is not an absolute mandate not to marry a divorced person. 3 Nephi 12.33 And again it is written, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Verse 34 In biblical society, people had come to the point of putting all kinds of conditions in contracts, which allowed them to easily go back on their word, if they felt it was to their advantage. Thus this warning, but verily, verily, I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. This verse omits, quote, Neither by Jerusalem, end quote. In the 1830 edition, page 481, the word is is omitted, but added in later editions. 3 Nephi 12, 36-45 Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair black or white. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever cometh of more than these is evil. And behold, it is written, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye shall not resist evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. And behold, it is written also that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But behold, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father who is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. This verse omits the phrase, quote, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust, end quote. 3 Nephi 12.46 Therefore those things which were of old time, which were under the law, in me are all fulfilled. This verse is not in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 47 Old things are done away, and all things have become new. Again, this verse is not in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 48. Therefore I would that ye should be perfect, even as I, or your Father who is in heaven, is perfect. In this verse, Jesus includes himself, along with the Father, as being perfect. He is now resurrected and has a glorified body. In this sense, he was not completely perfected when he gave the Sermon on the Mount to the people in the Holy Land. Another important message from this verse is that those Book of Mormon people were commanded to become perfect. Does that mean it was possible? Well, that is the expectation of all Latter-day Saints. The ultimate goal for them is to become a perfected, exalted God in the celestial kingdom.
They are to try and work towards that perfection while here on earth. But that is not the true message of Jesus Christ, at least in the Sermon on the Mount. Realize that Christ sets up an unattainable standard, which sums up what the law itself demands. There is no room for error. James 2.10 says, quote, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. End quote. If we manage to keep 99% of the whole law, but fail in 1%, we failed 100%. Though the standard is impossible to meet, God could not lower it without compromising his own perfection. He who is perfect could not set an imperfect standard of righteousness. The marvelous truth of the gospel is that Christ has met his standard on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, quote, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. End quote. In Matthew twenty two, thirty seven to forty, Jesus summarizes the law of God with two commandments quote, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as yourself. End quote. If we are honest with ourselves, we have never achieved this level of spirituality. The truth of the matter is that on our own and by our own efforts, we can't possibly be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Isaiah 64.6 says, quote, All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. We simply will never be good enough no matter how hard we try. That's why Jesus lived a perfect life in full obedience to the law of God and died for our sins on the cross. Through our faith in Christ, the righteousness of God is given to us. This is called imputed righteousness. It means we exchange our sins for His righteousness. By having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, we can be as sinless as Jesus is sinless. It is not, therefore, our perfection, but His that will be accounted to us. Of course, Latter-day Saints know they are not perfect. That is why they read a future perfection into 3 Nephi 12.48 and Matthew 5.48. Though they are not perfect now, they are progressively moving forward toward perfection and eventually attaining Godhood. The problem is, is that these verses are in the present tense. Be ye perfect. That is, be that now, not after we die. 3 Nephi 13 This chapter can be compared to Matthew 6 in the Bible. To the Latter-day Saint reading this, Jesus continues teaching and explaining personal attributes needed for entrance into celestial glory. 3 Nephi 13.1 here, we are reminded that when we provide help for the poor, our motives should be pure, rather than making ourselves look good to others. Verily, verily, I say that I would that ye should do alms unto the poor. But take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father who is in heaven. Alms are money or food given to the poor. 3 Nephi 13, 2-3 Therefore, when ye shall do your alms... Do not sound a trumpet before you, as will hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, They have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Keeping it low-key, it is really difficult to not tell someone when you do a good deed. It's hard to keep it a complete secret. Our pride seeks some acknowledgment. Instead, all recognition and praise for the opportunity to serve someone else should go to God. 3 Nephi 13.4 That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father who seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. 
the blessing you receive will be very obvious to you. 13.5.13.5 And when thou prayest, thou shalt not do as the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Which is to have others think they are righteous and holy. Verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father who is in secret, and thy Father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Don't misinterpret this to mean you can't pray in public. Jesus prayed in public many times in the Gospel accounts. The context of this verse is that of our personal motives or reasons for praying. God loves it when we pray while driving in your car, or during playtime with your child, or while you're at your computer. In verse 7, he gives counsel regarding the content of our prayers. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. God is not offended by repetition so long as our words are spoken from a sincere heart. Something vain is when it is empty and meaningless. Verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. There is still a need or purpose of our asking. Verse 9. Next, Jesus gives an example or pattern of prayer. Obviously, it is not the only way to pray. This is known as the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the first part of verse 10, Thy kingdom come, in the Sermon on the Mount, was dropped because Jesus' kingdom had already come. 3 Nephi 13, 11-16 and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Others notice they are fasting, which is what they want. Verse 17. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. In other words, try not to look like you're fasting. Third Nephi 13, 18-19. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father who is in secret and thy father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Don't make worldly possessions your top priority. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. In other words, make things of eternal value your top priority because those things cannot be taken away from you. Verses 21-22 For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. What you focus on affects your whole life. Verse 23 But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Referring here to spiritual darkness. 
Verse 24. It seems that many people like to spend their time and efforts trying to find a balance between being religious and enjoying worldly things. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word for riches or money. Verse 25. And now it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, he looked upon the twelve whom he had chosen and said unto them, Remember the words which I have spoken. For behold, ye are they whom I have chosen to minister unto this people. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? These same verses in the Sermon on the Mount were addressed to the twelve apostles, who were to go to all the world teaching. These instructions are also applied to the twelve apostles in America. He addresses specifically his apostles, telling them how they will be taken care of by the Father during their ministries. Some people have misinterpreted these verses, thinking it was meant for everyone. For instance, they quit their jobs and trusted that the Lord will take care of them. The Lord was telling his apostles that they will have enough daily troubles in preaching the gospel without the distraction of worrying about their physical needs. They had a special call on their lives and were about to learn firsthand what it would mean to totally trust and rely upon the Lord. 3 Nephi 13, 26-27 Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? One cubit is about eighteen inches. Verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Spin thread to make fabric for clothes. Verses 29-30. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, even so will he clothe you, if ye are not of little faith. Meaning, if you have sufficient faith. Verses 31-34. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient is the day unto the evil thereof. Meaning, you will face plenty of trouble and evil along the way. Third Nephi chapter 14 This is the concluding chapter of the sermon at the temple in Bountiful. Verses 1-3 through three. And now it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, he turned again to the multitude, and did open his mouth unto them again, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? comparing a tiny piece of silver to a large piece of timber. Verses 4 through 5. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam out of thine own eye, 
and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. First, take care of your own imperfections before trying to improve others. Verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Some things are sacred, and should not be shared with people who will not respect them. 3 Nephi 14, 7-13 Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you who, if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them." For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be who go in thereat. In the 1830 edition, page 484, the word straight, spelled S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, was incorrectly used in verses 13 to 14. It was changed in later editions to straight, spelled S-T-R-A-I-T, which means narrow. 3 Nephi 14.14 Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Mormonism teaches that the gate is baptism into the LDS Church. The phrase, narrow is the way, is referred to as the covenant life a Mormon must live, and which leadeth unto life, meaning eternal life or exaltation. 3 Nephi 14.15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They look and sound harmless, but are deceptively vicious. He is saying they may seem harmless, but are very dangerous to your spiritual well-being. A true prophet is one who is regarded as a religious teacher. A false prophet is a teacher of incorrect doctrine, or one who falsely lays claim to divine inspiration. Notice how Jesus describes him, quote, who come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep are an emblem of innocence, sincerity, and harmlessness. To come in sheep's clothing then is to assume the appearance of sanctity and innocence when their heart is actually evil. Jesus is referring to false teachers who appear acceptable but are inwardly full of ravenous doctrine, ready to destroy a person's life with their falsehoods. 3 Nephi 14, 16 Ye shall know them by their fruits, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? In other words, we cannot know the value of a tree by the color or texture of its leaves or bark or the size of its trunk. Neither can we look at the flowers in bloom or its buds. The purpose and value of a tree is primarily its fruit. So it is with prophets and teachers of the word of God. Forget how they sound and appear. Listen and look. Taste the fruit they produce and compare it to the standard by which all truth is tested, the Word of God. The fruit of the tree is the chief reason for its existence and the chief benefit to man. So, in the parallel, Jesus teaches that it is by the fruit which a person judges a fruit tree, and so also by the teachings do we determine the value of a prophet or teacher. All the pretensions of religion mean nothing if the teachings are false. Quote, do men gather grapes of thorns, 
or figs of thistles, end quote. In other words, every tree produces the kind of fruit it was created to produce. An apple tree will not produce a bunch of grapes. A peach tree will not produce a bunch of bananas. Fruit trees produce the fruit they were intended to produce. And both good prophets and bad prophets produce exactly the type of fruits that lie within them. 3 Nephi 14, 17-18 Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now, this is really important when talking about prophets, false and true. Liking them to trees, Jesus says a good tree cannot produce both good and bad fruits. A good apple tree will always produce good apples. A false prophet cannot produce good teachings. And a true prophet cannot produce bad teachings, or he would cease to be a prophet. What Jesus is saying is that even if a false prophet produces fruit which appears to be good, it cannot be deemed good because in the end it will lead to bad. A good prophet cannot produce bad teachings, and a false prophet cannot produce good teachings any more than a good tree can produce bad fruit, or a bad tree can produce good fruit. Look at the end product. Judge the fruit, for it is by this end product that you will know them. 3 Nephi 14, 19-20 Speaking of false prophets, Jesus continues saying, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Verse 21. Continuing in the context of false prophets in sheep's clothing, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here, Jesus is teaching us that not everyone who uses his name will be admitted to heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father which is in heaven. This teaching almost makes it sound like we have to earn our place in order to enter heaven. The question is, how does a person do the will of the Father? Is it by becoming perfect in our flesh? We will answer that in a minute. 3 Nephi 14, 22-23 Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In other words, there will be people who will justify their place in heaven by claiming to have done all sorts of apparently good and noble things in the name of the Lord. He chose these specific things as examples. Quote, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? End quote. He could have used anything as examples, but here he used these three. They have actually done all these things. And Jesus will say to them, quote, And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. End quote. In this response, we find in part that the will of the Father is for us to know his Son. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, quote, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So if when a person knows him, he too will know them. In other words, he knows us and will confess us to the Father just as we know him. Doing works in his name without knowing him, even if successful in carrying them out, does not mean the person doing the works knows him or that God knows him. Even if a church does many, many wonderful works but does not teach biblical truth, 
their works will amount to Jesus saying to them, quote, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. End quote. What does but he that doeth the will of my Father mean? We might automatically think it means to do, to work, or to earn. In John 6, 28-29, the disciples asked, quote, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. End quote. The first premise of work for the true Christian is believe on him whom God has sent. And as a result, believing on Jesus Christ, we begin to manifest and produce fruits of love for him and others. 3 Nephi 14.24 Jesus closes the sermon with a short parable in which they are counseled to build upon a rock. Therefore, whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rock used throughout the Bible refers to the rock, namely Christ. The word house is often referred to as one's life. So in this parable, the wise man built his life upon Christ. Verse 25. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. The rain, floods, and winds represent trials and temptations, etc., which are a part of our mortal lives. 3 Nephi 14, 26-27 And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here, Jesus ends the sermon at the Bountiful Temple, omitting the last two verses from the Sermon on the Mount. 3 Nephi 15, verse 1. And now it came to pass, that when Jesus had ended these sayings, he cast his eyes round about on the multitude, and said unto them, Behold, ye have heard the things which I taught before I ascended to my Father. Therefore, whoso remembereth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, him will I raise up at the last day. The phrase, quote, when Jesus had ended these sayings, is from Matthew 7.28, and, quote, up at the last day, is in John 6.40. 3 Nephi 15.2, the Nephite and Lamanites wondered what he wanted them to do regarding the law of Moses, now that he has come. The words, quote, they understood not the saying, are in Luke 2.50, verses 3-4. He told them that the law is now fulfilled. Verse 5. Behold, I am he that gave the law, and I am he who covenanted with my people Israel. Therefore the law in me is fulfilled, for I have come to fulfill the law. Therefore it hath an end. The phrase, Behold, I am he, is from Acts 10.21, verse 6. Behold, I do not destroy the prophets, for as many as have not been fulfilled in me, verily I say unto you, shall all be fulfilled. 3 Nephi 15, 7-8 The covenant he made with the Israelites back in 3 Nephi 5, 23-26 is not completely fulfilled. 3 Nephi 59 Behold, I am the law and the light. Look unto me, and endure to the end, and ye shall live. For unto him that endureth to the end will I give eternal life. This is the gospel of Mormonism taught here. To endure means to keep all the commandments, laws, and ordinances perfectly for the rest of your life. And then he will give you eternal life, which means exaltation and celestial glory. It ties in with Second Nephi 25.23, quote, 
For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. 3 Nephi 15.10 Behold, I have given unto you the commandments. Therefore keep my commandments. And this is the law and the prophets, for they truly testified of me. He wants them to distance themselves from the rituals and requirements of the law of Moses and to begin living the higher laws which he gave them in his sermon here at the temple. The words, quote, this is the law and the prophets are in Matthew 7.12. In verse 11, Jesus now addresses the twelve men he selected. 35.15.12 Ye are my disciples, and ye are a light unto this people who are a remnant of the house of Joseph. Referring to descendants of Joseph who was sold into Egypt. The phrase, quote, ye are my disciples, is in John 13.35. 35.15.13 That would make them of Jewish heritage, which we come to find out in modern times there was no DNA proof that Native American people come from the Middle East, but are from Asian origins. That would make a liar out of what Jesus is teaching here in this verse. The words, quote, The Father hath given, are in John 5.36. Verses 14-15 through 15, Jesus tells these twelve that the knowledge about the people of Nephi and the ten lost tribes has largely been kept from the people at Jerusalem. 3 Nephi 15, 16-17 This much did the Father command me that I should tell unto them, that other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. In John ten sixteen, Jesus was specifically speaking of the Jews, or nation of Israel, as this fold, and the other sheep were those non-Jews or Gentiles, whom Jesus did not come for initially. So the other sheep, told about in the Book of Mormon, would be impossible since the Nephites themselves were supposedly to be descendants of Hebrew Jews, not Gentiles. Verse 18, It was because of the wickedness and unbelief of the Jews that the Father commanded Jesus not to talk about this subject anymore. In verses 19-20, it was because of the iniquity that God separated the other tribes and Lehi's people from those in Judea. Verse 20, in the 1830 edition, page 486, it did not capitalize the divine title Father. It was capitalized in later editions. 3 Nephi 15, 21. And verily I say unto you, that ye are they of whom I said, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Telling the American Israelites that they were the other sheep. Verse 22, speaking of the people of Jerusalem, And they understood me not, for they supposed it had been the Gentiles, for they understood not that the Gentiles should be converted through their preaching. Gentiles referring to non-Jews or non-Israelites. Verses 23 through 24. And they understood me not that I said, They shall hear my voice. And they understood me not that the Gentiles should not at any time hear my voice, that I should not manifest myself unto them, save it were by the Holy Ghost. But behold, ye have both heard my voice and seen me, and ye are my sheep, and ye are numbered among those whom the Father hath given me. In Christianity, the Holy Spirit is God's voice. Third Nephi chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to the twelve Nephite disciples. 3 Nephi 16.1 And verily, verily, I say unto you, that I have other sheep which are not of this land, neither of the land of Jerusalem, 
neither in any parts of that land round about whither I have been to minister. He is referring to the lost ten tribes. See 3 Nephi 17.4, 3 Nephi 16.2-3. For they of whom I speak are they who have not as yet heard my voice, neither have I yet any time manifested myself unto them. But I have received a commandment of the Father, that I shall go unto them, and that they shall hear my voice, and shall be numbered among my sheep, that there may be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore I go to show myself unto them. He wants to make them all one herd of sheep. In verse 4, now Jesus tells the twelve apostles to make a record of what he is telling them after he leaves. And I command you that ye shall write these sayings after I am gone, that if it so be that my people at Jerusalem, they who have seen me and been with me in my ministry, do not ask the Father in my name, that they may receive a knowledge of you by the Holy Ghost, and also of the other tribes whom they know not of, that these sayings which ye shall write shall be kept and shall be manifested unto the Gentiles, that through the fullness of the Gentiles the remnant of their seed who shall be scattered forth upon the face of the earth because of their unbelief may be brought in, or may be brought to a knowledge of me, their Redeemer. Here, when speaking through the fullness of the Gentiles, it means the fullness of the gospel restored through Joseph Smith. The words, quote, I command you that ye, are in John fifteen seventeen, and, quote, as the Father in my name, are in John sixteen twenty three, and, quote, the fullness of the Gentiles, from Romans eleven twenty five, and, quote, because of their unbelief, are in Mark 6, verse 6. 3 Nephi 16.5 Speaking of the Jews, as well as the spiritual gathering of Israel, members of the LDS Church, And then will I fulfill the covenant which the Father hath made unto all the people of the house of Israel. Verses 6-7 through seven. Again, speaking of the faithful members of the LDS Church, And blessed are the Gentiles because of their belief in me, in and of the Holy Ghost, which witnesses unto them of me and of the Father. Behold, because of their belief in me, saith the Father, and because of the unbelief of you, O house of Israel, in the latter day shall the truth come unto the Gentiles, that the fullness of these things shall be made known unto them. Through the restored gospel of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Verses 8-9. through nine. Next, Jesus prophesies about the Gentiles who come to the Americas and scatter the Lamanites, or the Native Americans. But woe, saith the Father, unto the unbelieving of the Gentiles. For notwithstanding they have come forth upon the face of this land, and have scattered my people who are of the house of Israel, and my people who are of the house of Israel have been cast out from among them, and have been trodden under feet by them, and because of the mercies of the Father unto the Gentiles, and also the judgments of the Father upon my people who are of the house of Israel, verily, verily, I say unto you, that after all this... And I have caused my people who are of the house of Israel to be smitten, and to be afflicted, and to be slain, and to be cast out from among them, and to become hated by them, and to become a hiss and a byword among them. 3 Nephi 16.10 Speaking of the last day, when wickedness sweeps the earth, and with specific reference to the United States. And thus commandeth the Father that I should say unto you, At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel, and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and above all the people of the whole earth, and shall be filled with all manner of lyings and of deceits and of mischiefs, and all manner of hypocrisy and murders and priestcrafts and whoredoms and of secret abominations, 
And if they shall do all those things, and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. Verse 11. Later, when the Gentiles reject the gospel, it is taken from them and given back to the house of Israel. And then will I remember my covenant which I have made unto my people, O house of Israel, and I will bring my gospel unto them. The words, quote, my gospel, are in Second Timothy 2.8. 3 Nephi 16, 12-13. And I will show unto thee, O house of Israel, that the Gentiles shall not have power over you. But I will remember my covenant unto you, O house of Israel, and ye shall come unto the knowledge of the fullness of my gospel. But if the Gentiles will repent and return unto me, saith the Father, behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Verses 14-15. Should the Gentiles continue to reject the covenant, they will be trodden down and cast out from the promised blessings. 3 Nephi 16.15, the phrase, quote, is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of, end quote, is taken from Matthew 5.13. 3 Nephi 16, verse 16. Verily, verily, I say unto you, thus hath the Father commanded me, that I should give unto this people this land for their inheritance. Speaking of the Nephites and the Lamanites, the descendants of the Joseph who was sold into Egypt. 3 Nephi 16, 17-18 And then the words of the prophet Isaiah shall be fulfilled, which say, Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Faithful Israel will live in peace and harmony in the gospel. 3 Nephi 16, 19-20 Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people, he hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. This concludes our study for today. Please subscribe so you won't miss any of our future episodes. You can catch us on YouTube, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast, or you can go to our website, TalkingToMormons.com, where you can download the script and learn much more. Until next time, God bless.